In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Don't be shy. Michael Jackson is the king of pop. Soda makes me gassy. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. I still think Adam Ant is long overdue for a return. Anything goes at Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. on UPRN 105.3 New Orleans. Like hell you are. And just a quick note for those of you who are new to ufology, uh, we talk about Colonel uh, Philip J. Corso quite a bit here. Um, In case you don't know who he is, he was the chief of the Army's Foreign Technology Division in 1961, and he claims that he was responsible for bringing uh, the Roswell alien craft wreckage uh, to industry for them to reverse engineer it. He basically said, look, this is some sort of Russian uh, technology. We don't know what it is. Can you look at it? And, you know, brought it to places like Bell Labs. And um, and so they, uh, out of that came fiber optics, integrated circuit chips, lasers, super tenacity fibers, etc. This is his claim. Um, all right, here's the show. Paratopia. We have a very, hey. very special guest. One, Mrs. Nancy Burns. Nancy Burns, of course, is the editor of, uh, well, editor-in-chief of uh, UFO Magazine. She, though not second fiddle to Bill Burns, I'll introduce you as Bill Burns' wife. Mm. Um, She is a writer in her own right, and she is pretty much impossible to interview, so... We're very glad to have Yeah, we'll see, we'll soon see why. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nancy, you're, uh, besides being, like, the love of my life... No. That's right. No. Uh, you, you, you're an interesting kind of character in all of this, because you're, you, somehow, some way, you're in ufology, you're steeped in it, um, and yet you still seem to keep your outsider's edge, let's say. Uh, so... How did you even get into this? How did this fall into your lap in the first place? Well, I think the answer to Outsider's Edge is because I kind of, I won't say I don't believe in it. I've never seen anything. I have no um, 
you know, more than more than most people. I mean, I believe everybody. I believe what people tell me, but I have never ever seen anything. So I have. I'm really one of the outsiders in this in this whole thing, and you know, so I, I that's that's how that happened. But the way that I got involved was simply that I had been a newspaper reporter from the time I was really a almost a kid, and um, so a, a, an ordinary you know newspaper reporter, uh, 65, 66 thereabouts, long time ago, and after that. After I, you know, had to leave, start a family, do that sort of thing, I eventually, you know, took to, to writing books, fiction, and eventually had a book production company, still still have that company. And I sort of felt magazines were something I wondered if I could do. You know, it sounds crazy, but there's a whole different way of thinking if you're on a daily paper, and then if you're writing a long-form book, mm-hmm. different way of thinking, different way of achieving different way of everything and so I wanted to try a magazine and when Bill wrote Day After Roswell he was interviewed by the Eckers <laughs> there I go <laughs> well, you, you haven't said anything bad yet so don't, no there you go um, inter- yeah, interviewed by the Eckers they were unhappy with um, the way the magazine was going and told Bill they wanted to sell it and when he came home I wanted it right away. I said, "Bless just we'll we'll help we'll do whatever it takes. You know, we'll all get in together. We'll do this thing. We'll make this thing a go. How, you know. But Bill didn't think that we had the kind of resources to do that. Money resources. And so he brought the project, brought the magazine to a, a, a wealthy guy who in fact bought it. And then um 4 or 5 years later, once again, it was up for sale. And this time, the guy sold it to us for a dollar. Gives you some idea of hmm. <laughs> how much. Literally a dollar? <laughs> literally a dollar. Bill took out a dollar and gave him a dollar. And so so then I had my chance to do a magazine. And Are you serious? He, he, a dollar? Yeah. Yeah, because we took, on, we took on the debt. You know, we had to take on the debt. There was no income at that. Well, there was the income from any new subscribers. But from the day we handed over the dollar, we had to... We had the responsibility of making a magazine for all the subscribers that were there, hmm. you see. So, wow. And, you know, in like, and so there was five of us at the time, and I was one of them, one of the five, and that's how, that's how it all started. And, you know, the topic is, without a doubt, just as an aside, um, as, a, as a fiction writer, I had a, um, I had a contract to write another book, and I had decided since I was born in 47 to... Um, write about this topic because I always felt a little bit close to the topic since I was born the same year the thing came down and I always thought I was switched at birth. <laughs> but, you know, with a, with a prince, I, you know, be a princess or something. And so, um, you know, I was writing a fiction about it and uh, when we were coming across the country from the East Coast to California to live in 1990, we did, we, we wanted to stop in Roswell because I was writing that book, but we didn't, and when Bill got the chance to do the Corso book, um, partly it was because of my interest in this that he took it on, and you know, and and he had had no interest in this before that book. What is your? So. What do you? Uh, what do you make of Corso? Do you think he was telling the truth? <sighs> well, I I know a lot about Corso because you have boxes of his documents at your house, right? I have boxes and boxes and boxes, because um, he wanted. You know, Corso came into our life. Um, in the typical way, because as I said, we, we have a book production company, and um, as such, 
Bill was hired as a writer to work on this project, the Corso project, with Corso um, for a movie company. And when Corso kind of came into the situation, he brought his whole life story, not just Roswell, but also um, World War II stuff and uh, what else? I forget the other. Oh, Kennedy stuff, uh, but primarily prisoner of war stuff. And so I definitely got to meet him. He was very, very old, but I'm Italian and he's Italian and we got along pretty well. Um, he likes he he liked women very very much. He had a very happy marriage. Um, he was a widower, and he really liked. He was tiny, and he really liked to kind of flirt as best he could. <laughs> so you know we got along really well. And um, Bill interviewed him a bunch and basically wrote the book. And he little by little gave us all the materials for all the books for the whole thing. You know, and then when trouble happened after the book came out. Um, we kept all the stuff. We still have all the stuff. And then eventually he died, and his son and Bill became close. And, you know, you know, if we do more books, great. But in the course of it, I definitely went through all that stuff at one point because I'm pretty organized on, you know, partially. or You know, I'm pretty organized if I have the time. Mm-hmm. So I definitely went through all the stuff, and I did make some, some – I did make some observations of my own for this because um, – First of all, I, I assumed if this was not a true story, we were going to get sued left, right, and upside down by every single solitary company that, you know, of course, has said, well, we gave this to Bell Labs, we gave this to God, you know, all this different, you know, so, and none of that happened, so that, I thought that was weird. Um, but what, do you, what exactly do you want to know, sort of? Um, well, like, just, uh, do you stand by his story, do you feel forced to stand by his story because Bill wrote a book with him, um, or... Do you uh, think that he was lying in some way or embellishing? Well, I definitely feel personally that, you know, it's sort of like I went to Princeton and my word is my honor, quite frankly. So I wouldn't lie. If I thought he wasn't telling the truth, I would tell you straight out. I really would. Um, Bill is a very loyal person. And as a book um, co-writer during the whole course of that um, promotional thing, and even up to this moment, he will always do what he's been asked to do. So if he's got reservations, he's going to keep them to himself, but I'm not necessarily going to do that because I'm not hired to, you know, co-write the book. Mm-hmm. And I sort of feel that, personally, I feel that Corso, I think the whole story is true, but I just don't think Corso himself could possibly have been the guy doing all the fabulous stuff. And, and I'm primarily talking about the stuff at, in World War II. It's sort of kind of a little bit too much to ask to for one guy to be, you know, brave and all that stuff, and then, you know, brave and intelligent and this and that. So I think I think once somebody has died in course of life, I think he was able to say, I did that. That this is my feeling, that maybe he just simply knew who did it and decided to say, I did it. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I could totally be wrong about that. But in the course of someday when we're all sitting around looking through these boxes, I'll I'll show you why I think that. Um, I looked at some old um, testimony for a, boy, it was a congressional thing, congressional testimony. And this was a, a bunch of, of papers that were mimeographed, you know, from the old machines. Mm-hmm. And you could sort of, you know, you could kind of read along. And I just got the impression from trying to put his papers together in chronological order that he knew a guy 
And then at the testimony, sort of said he did that stuff. And I, I could go back and, t- and point that out exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a minor thing, but I do think it suggests embellishment. Yeah. And I, and I think the person he would have taken the embellishment from was uh, Trudeau, who, in fact, probably was the guy who, who moved all that stuff through industry. Did you get the sense uh, that he would make it up out of whole cloth for to never. to make his son rich or anything like that? Never, or? never. I think he's the kind of person who never in a million years would make it up out of whole cloth. And I and I'll say this: it sounds it sounds mean. I don't think I don't think he would be that courageous. I think he would be cautious. I think from the whole time I met him, he was still an army intelligence officer. And from what I hear, just like the CIA, you really don't leave that biz. You know, from what I can, from what I can gather, and so I think that a he wouldn't make it up, not in a million years, because he could get caught. I don't think he had much of an imagination, to be honest with you. I think he was a company guy, still working for the company, and I think since he was willing to stick his neck out and say all this crazy stuff, I think they let him. I think, to be honest, what I can tell you guys that Bill c- kind of can't is that people come to Bill a lot in the military. It, you know. Um, legitimate army types or legitimate intelligence types, etc., and they tell him stuff that he can't do anything with, but it, it's enough that he totally thinks there's something going on, which means that the Corsa story is probably true. You know what I mean? The, 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 the actual story, whether Corso is the guy who did all this stuff, if it's, if it's you know, so it's almost like Corso's a front man for the story and a front man for getting the story out, which is a really big story. And, you know, and as time goes by, you know, if I stay in the biz, I'm definitely going to be hoping to get to the bottom of this because, you know, we, I, I think as citizens, you know, I don't think we have a right to know because I don't think we can handle the truth, quite frankly. But I think as a reporter, I want to find it out. I want to report if, you know. And certainly nobody's ever, ever said anything to me. I mean, I'm, I'm not in, involved in these conversations, so. Well, with the know. stuff that, that you've heard from Bill, you know, people telling Bill, I mean, do you, do you get the sense that, that hmm. they know way more than, than Absolutely. we believe? Ab- or do you Absolutely. think they don't know anything? <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, I was talking to Bill about this a couple of days ago because you know how we all think the exopolitics movement is ridiculous, right. okay? I mean, it makes no sense that we are going to be one on, you know, that if they're going to come with pocket protectors and we're all going to abide by the rules and, you know, it's going to be like Vulcans and stuff. It, I, I, it's not like that, but it does seem as though what's terrifying to me is that the government is, you know, I mean, the government is involved with stuff. There is stuff going on. There's, there, there's enough that I think there's probably a couple sane folk in the exopolitics movement who really really believe that, you know, like we ought to be included, you know, we, we exopolitics folks ought to be included in what's going on because none of, you know, none of what's going on is ever part of the American constitution or anything, you know, there's no, there are no rules about it. And so Lord knows, you know, I just know that from what, from what people have told Bill, and this is the kind of stuff that's never, never for publication or anything, enough people have, you know, have said stuff and then then died, you know, like, I mean, old people and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think something's going on. But again, I don't have any, you know, I've never seen anything, and Lord help me, I don't really want to. So you what know? do you make of, I mean, you've, you've heard our show, you certainly know enough about my story mm-hmm. and Jeff's story. What do you make of that type of high strangeness and um, seemingly unalien 
testimony in terms well, of well, I, I have I have a lot I have a lot I can say about that to you guys because I I have listened to every show except the last few which I will catch up on but basically I've been a very um, and a and a close listener I've listened very closely I think that the two of you and then we've talked about this privately. Um, just in general, because I know the two of you are not having, you know, a totally happy life because of this. This is a burden, what's going on with you each. And I, and I totally, utterly believe what you say. I think that um, who would make this stuff up? I mean, you're not making a fortune, um, and it's not helping your, in your case, Jeremy, it's not even helping your dating situation. Hey. You know, <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, you've got a lot to lose by coming out and saying this stuff, and um, I certainly would also say, if anything happened to me, I would certainly tell people too, because I believe the more people you tell, the more you feel like you can kind of spread the terror out and spread the, you know, get info and stuff, but, but, but I do think that you each have brains that are able to tune in to other realities. I think everybody's brain is wired differently, and I think... You know, as as the race progresses, more and more brains will be able to do this. But right now, you 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 each are lucky enough to have brains that tune in and get this stuff, and that's why I think you're able to see and experience. And I think it's probably all around us all the time, but I think if there's an other reality, it it can't get through to a guy sitting on the couch eating meat and drinking beer. It, his brain is and watching television. His brain's going to be totally closed down. But if you fast, um, if you take drugs, if you have a terrifying experience, your brain um, opens up to stuff. You know, it's it's just you know it's just a natural thing. I mean, people who are in going through childbirth will have um, extraordinary experiences when that's happening because it's you know stress, a lot of stress, and your brain opens up. And since Jeff is a very visual person, um, so many of the things he describes I've seen too. And I, tr- I chalk some of it up to hormones, and my brain, you know, I, my, brain got, my brain became a little different for me when I was trying to meditate and trying to learn remote viewing to the point where I decided, screw this, I don't want to do this. Um, I want to write for a living, and I don't necessarily want to be, you know, creating these new grooves. And I think you guys are sort of stuck with brains that work differently. Hmm. What do you think? Well, what, what, do you, what would you say that you've experienced that sounds like what you've Jeff experience? Well, um, before I had my second child, up until that point, I definitely had a lot of weird stuff going on in terms of, I mean, Jeff can really explain this well, but it's got to do, I've always, I've always compared it to, I, I would, you know, I could close my eyes and be in either in bed or not, but just close my eyes. And, and this would come upon me on, it wouldn't be something I would want to come, but it would come upon me that I would be Almost in those kinds of positions with those cartoon, you know, like in a, a Tom and Jerry cartoon, when like, um, or like a Roadrunner cartoon, where the Roadrunner is like um, uh, uh, way up on top of a peak, mm-hmm. and maybe has to run off the peak and fall down. Things like that would start happening to me um, You'd without a my. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like the physical. The, the feeling physical, of falling—that that sort of—is uh, that what you're saying? Yeah, or the feeling of being shot out of my body, all across the universe. Um, stuff like that. I mean, I, I make light of it now because when I was pregnant the second time, 
I was really um, saying to because here's what would happen. No matter what I would try to think to try to stop this kind of extreme thing happening, um, whatever I would think would also become, um, or let me put it another way, you know that Power of Ten movie? It's a great little movie where they show, I think it's like you could get it on YouTube now, where they show everything getting smaller by a power of 10 and then everything larger by a power of 10. Mm -hmm. As though a, um, you know, like it's like they start with a little picnic um, blanket and they go deep, deep, deep into like bugs and microbes and then by power of 10, you know, like an electron microscope. And then they blow it out like a telescope power of 10. And that's what would happen to me. I would physically experience that the the essence of something so I, if i thought of i put my head on a pillow and i would think okay i'm just going to think about the pillow and suddenly the essence of falling into something so deep would happen it's kind of hard to explain but when i was pregnant i i you know hormones go crazy when you when you get pregnant and so i it went away it never came back and i never had it after that and so i i think it might be hormone uh, you know, hormonal, re- you know, hormone related or something. So but, you think when Jeff has his baby, he'll. he'll well, I think I that. think I think when Jeff reaches, <laughs> it could happen that he reaches okay. a certain, you know, a certain age and it stops. It, you know, is that still going on, Jeff? I, like, I would say I, I would say no. I would say that the 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 bulk of my experiences were well, childhood, definitely yeah. between five and nine, and then. Um, a little weird kind of a peppering of things in between that and my 20s. Right, right. And then after I met my wife was, was like I've said before, is more or less when things started to align for me to where I would, you know, I, I remember watching shows like Sightings and seeing, you know, experiencers on there talking about certain instances in their life where they've they've been in a craft or they've seen a UFO and this, that, and the other. And, uh, you know, I'm... I, always would sit back and go, yeah, yeah, this is, you know, it's just one yeah. up, one upmanship from reporting or taking a yeah, photograph, yeah. you know, now I've been on it, blah, 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 and I'd kind of blow it all off, and yeah, and I never equated the weird stuff from my childhood or from, you know, my teens or whatever, I, I never equated that to the UFO thing at all, but yeah, yeah. it pretty much came to a head for me when someone said, how many UFOs have you seen in your lifetime? And I said, five. <laughs> right, right, right. And they said, do you realize most people go their whole life and never see one? Exactly. And I was like, and I, and I, oh. and I think what they're doing is they're trying, they're, I think whatever it is tries to find brains it can communicate, it can communicate with. Um, oh. And it, pro- it probes in different ways um, and probably has lots and lots to communicate. But I do think you guys, and thank God you're doing this this show. I think you guys are the in the forefront of what people eventually are going to be studying because you're both. Um, Jeremy's very very verbal and can explain things, and Jeff is very visual and can explain things and is willing to explain things. And so, you know, and and neither of you has really gone crazy so far as we know, which is you know. A big help because there seems to be like you know you can you can describe it and then you can sort of have a touchstone with reality saying you know that was this and I don't believe you know it's not, I'm not saying it's not real but at the same time I'm here talking to you now you know and so I think that's a I think that's a huge thing to bring to the you know um, to the bring to the population and in fact although I know you guys don't read the magazine one of our favorite one of my favorite writers is Colin Bennett. And he mentions. Wait a, wait, a, wait, a, wait a minute! <laughs> I, I read it in the magazine. What are you talking? No, about? no, no! I, too many times I say, "Did you read blank?" And I'm I'm here in crickets. 
Well, I read my sad. I know, I know. It's sad. But, but Colin Bennett, a few, um, a few articles back, mentioned that people like you guys are like the, uh, the, 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 those um, unusual things you find in the rainforest. You know, in the rainforest are things that are not like anything else in biology, and I think you guys have the kind of brains that, um, you know, all through history people laugh at you or tie you to a stake. But in this particular um, generation, people are willing to listen a little bit. So, so I what, think you're, what, what you're saying is we're tree frogs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But just, or, 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 you know, yeah, so just, you know, go around and ask people to lick you and they'll have psychedelic experiences. <laughs> That's how my day in life has been, yeah, actually. Yeah, there you go. Oh. <laughs> Something yeah. I said. But I can, tell you, I can tell you one other thing. When I was really, really, really little, four or five, somewhere in that vicinity, um, and my parents were still together, and I, it, this is vivid to me because my parents weren't together past, uh, past when I was six or seven, and I had, I remember waking up and seeing all these little men in, I thought, top hats in the room. And I remember, you know, freaking out and going in and climbing into my parents' bed. And my parents were naked, which shocked the heck out of me. It's like, whoa, what's up with this? You know, why, you know, where are your jammies? And my father took me back to my bedroom and, and to calm me down, I said, well, can't you, you know, didn't you see them? And he calmed me down and told me he did see them. And I thought that was so kind of him as my life progressed. And I, I'm under the impression, I bet you, that lots and lots and lots of kids are visited. And the ones who freak out, they just leave you alone. You know, they say, this one's not going to work out for us. You know, this is just a theory I have. And it could have just been a nightmare. But when once Whitley's book came out, you know, Whitley forced everybody to reexamine all those little memories, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, 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 and people still keep trying to tear him down and saying, "Why do you guys give him so much slack?" It's like, really? To, to, to me, it's almost like the Michael Jackson question. It's like, well, he got weirder in life, but you know what? Yeah, <laughs> you can't deny what he did. You know? Yeah, well, yeah, and that's and that you know that kind of goes down to you know one of my pet peeves here is that we now have what 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 what, are, what we have guys in this field who are calling themselves the traffic cops or the enforcers or the whatever. And they are sort of blockheaded and saying, you know, we'll tell you what's true and what's not true. And it really ticks me off because, you know, I mean, if, if, if a person is a fraud and they're trying to take your money in a fraudulent way, I think they should be laughed at and walked away from, you know, who cares? And, and you know, if you, if you want to sit and listen to their story, more power to you. But I do think that it's a fragile situation we've got here, and I think that people... Well, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, people shouldn't be so mean because they're, you know, they're, Bill has gotten caught in that whole trap of, you know, let's, let's throw everybody away because, you know, we don't like, we don't like the way he's, he's wearing sunglasses on the TV show. So, yeah. Um, and I think anytime you have success and especially somebody who seemingly comes out of nowhere and writes this book, you know, with Corso. Right, right. Um, there's bound to be jealousy issues and all that, and um... yeah, but you know what? It, it, jealousy is one thing, but then there comes—I don't know. I guess we here in this UFO field sort of think that we ought to be easier on each other on some levels because we're all dealing with a topic that's so nutty that you know we ought to probably, you know, be a little bit kinder about it. I guess I don't know. Well, there's that, but you, uh, well, okay, then what do you, I mean, Jeff and I have certainly been hard on, say, Greer, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Uh, do you think that that's wrong? I mean, eventually you do come to these charlatans who continue to make money and continue to reinvent themselves. And if you're well, a guy like me, you kind of want to say, you know what, you're not doing me any favors as somebody who's trying to actually tell the truth about this. I know. I know you're very passionate about uh, people who are kind of, uh, they've, got the, uh, they've got the stage and they're screwing up, they're screwing everything up. I, I think that um, I'm astounded at the people who are the ones who fill the auditoriums um, at, these, at, at, at UFO conferences, and then we won't even go into New Age stuff, but just UFO conferences, the ones who fill the auditoriums almost to a man and woman are not the ones who are telling the truth. The thing about it is, when I've when I've been to these conferences and I've and I've been treated poorly by some of these big stars, I don't take that very well, and I don't necessarily then, um, when asked privately, I don't I you know I tell people what I think, and and I had um, sort of a private interaction with Greer that was pretty nasty, and I don't like Greer as a result. Um, I think that anybody who and, and anybody who sees Greer is going to go is going to um, see somebody who's personable when he does his talk, and then when the talk is over, he's kind of like, I'm a big star, who are you again? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of creepy, because, you know, it's just kind of creepy and not, not normal. And um, Richard Hoagland's another one. You know, he's sort of, I'm a big star, and, you know, I, I don't talk to the little people, and I, I find that weird. But I, I also came up with a theory about why... Um, these people fill the stadium, why, why they fill the, the auditorium. And, and to a person, it's because they say, they don't, they, they don't sound like um, Stanton, who also can fill them, but not quite at the same. Stanton um, gives a scientific lecture. Mm-hmm. But these guys say, this is what it what really is. You know, this is really, they're just like religion people. Sure. Religious, yeah, and that's kind of, that's kind of, this, yeah, they're this, evangelists. This, yeah, they and, and but they're saying you don't have to think when you come into my uh, auditorium. I'm going to tell you everything that's the, that is the way it is, and you don't have to worry. Just follow along, mm-hmm. because I'm telling you everything that's real and true and and the story. But the fact of the matter is, um, they're delusional, you know, um, and they're also, um, you know, you can't you can't you can't question them. You can't you know. Yeah, I mean, and, and yeah. you know, I, I, it's funny. I just watched this Greer bit of video today where he was giving a lecture and where he had actually shown some of his C-SETI footage, uh, which looked like, well, it, I mean, it was somebody filming the screen. So who really knows what you're looking at on a YouTube video of a film of a film? But, you know, for all intents and purposes, planes or just lights in the sky or whatever. And he'll tell the story of like, mm. you know, nonchalant. That's his whole thing. It's all nonchalant. As if what he's saying doesn't really matter, it's all commonplace. And in, during the story, he says, oh, and by the way, the one thing I didn't mention uh, is that um, four aliens materialized um, mm-hmm. off off in the distance. There were four of them, and they materialized. And then he said something, it was something like they they, they, they weren't real. It was kind of like, um, like a remote viewing projection, if you uh, understand what I'm talking about. Right, right, right. But it, but he, it wasn't that. It was like something technical. It was like some bogus technical term that he just made up on the spot. Right, because he's and then passed he's, off uh, as if everybody yeah. should know what that is. If he's you're a total salesman. And meanwhile, the yeah. whole thing is a lie. You know, we're looking at planes. Yeah, he, well, he's a salesman. He's absolutely an excellent salesman, and he is. I, I know he's made some money, and you know he sells himself quite well. But don't you wonder um, when he around the two thousand and uh, you know nine um, eleven 
when he had that um, uh, 9-11, 2001, I think it was like right before the towers came down, he had a big press conference, and supposedly he was on the side of the good at that point, they say. You know, and it makes you wonder... I don't think if somebody had scared him, he would have gone off on this weird tangent. I just think, I, th- I think you might, you know, you, Jeremy, wrote a piece, a column that I happen to have read, which I'm sure Jeff has not read, about, um, it was an obscure piece about standing up in front of people um, talking. And although you didn't mean it this way, I got the impression this was almost like a Stephen Greer moment. It's like, I've been talking, I've given them this much they like it, and now i got to give them more, and i got to make it up as I go along because i got to keep those happy, smiling faces, mm-hmm. you know, smiling up at me. And I get that impression that, you know, that's that's the way he got himself entrapped, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's just say I don't know. I mean, I've, I've had some personal run, run-ins with him that were pretty nasty, and so I'm not a big fan. So all of this, um, then, is the long way around to, to getting back to the original point, which is to say... What do you do with somebody like that? Do you not call them out on it? Uh, you know. Well, well here's, here's the, the here's like, the, what's the yeah. line there? You know. Well, here's the real line. I mean, for example, uh, and I hope this doesn't come back to haunt me, but his his people uh, called a couple of weeks ago and they want to take out a back cover ad. And you know, we're a magazine that we're not rolling in dough, and so if they're going to take out an ad, a back cover, we're happy to do that. And yet, we will get lots of emails and lots of letters saying why. You know, we we don't. You know, are you endorsing him? And so, if I were if I were to turn down the and, and then we've had an ad. Nobody seems to have bought, been been too bothered by it. We had an ad for the Antichrist uh, a couple months ago. Seems like nobody picked up on that. Thank you, thank you. And I'm kind of glad. And then we had an ad from a, from Scientology. Um, but again, it was subtle. It was sort of for another uh, another book from that group. Um, they have a publishing arm. And people, again, didn't really put two and two together, but we took the money from all, you know, from all three of those sources. And then we've taken money from a guy who's got a magic ring, stuff like that. If we don't <laughs> do... <laughs> well... It just, hit, it, just, it, just, it just hit me that you took an ad from Scientology and Bill was a, a psychologist. <laughs> Which oh, really, sure, sure. Well, know. I mean, you know, but the thing is, um, should, if we don't take the ads we don't take that money it, it, we will not be able to exist that much longer um my hope is that the people who are so so soft-brained that they are freaking out i mean first of all if you're reading our magazine the kind of magazine i'm trying to build you're going to be smarter than the average person the, the ideal reader is is a really smart reader and just flips past that stuff just like if you're reading um a magazine these days and you don't particularly like to smoke you'll flip past the cigarette commercials or the drinking commercials, the liquor oh, commercials. Nancy, um, don't, don't, you, um, don't you think, I mean, we can talk about Greer and we can talk about Meyer and we can talk about any of these people. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the end, there's a bigger problem, and the bigger problem is that these morons will open their mouth and people will listen. I mean, I think the bad part is, is, you know, you can be the worst rock band in the world and people show up to see you, case in point, mm-hmm. KISS. Um, you know, um, <laughs> sorry about that, KISS Army. Yeah, we, um, we just lost a whole army of fans. Yeah, well, there goes now, click, I mean, click. That's, that's strictly my opinion. Um, but, I mean, you can, uh, we, you can talk and you can expose these people and we can, uh, you know, we can, we can, present information to the public that's completely contrary to what 
they present and, and show this in a factual way. And you could have all of your ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. And the point is, is that what I was told about ufology in general years ago is no matter how good your story is or your data is, half the people will believe you and half the people will not. So I think well, it really I, comes I, down yeah. to how many people are going to listen to Greer. He got well, a standing yeah. ovation when me and yeah. Jeremy saw him, and it's like it made my stomach turn to see that there were so many people know, so willing to give over to that. That, to me, is where the real problem is, because without an audience, these guys are dust. Yeah, but here's, here's what I think, and this is where I'm going to disagree a little bit, because, um, you know, um, here, here's, my, here's another way of thinking about this. The people who gave him a standing ovation are not the people who are going to listen to this show, and they're not the people who are going to read our magazine. Um, they are idiots, okay? They are going to go from that conference room, and they're going to go directly to um, that woman, Nancy Leader, or whatever. And, you know, she, then they're going to do Zeta, Zeta Talk too, and they're going to go right to that. Or they're going to go... And they're going to do something else weird in which somebody else will kind of pat them on the head and say, you know, you know, rise up because you can walk. And, you know, it's sort of like they're looking for that kind of thing. They are not our readers and they're not our listeners, I think. And I think it's up to us to get a whole new audience, which is what I think we are, in fact, building of people who know that that stuff is uh, happening but who couldn't sit in that audience for very long before they would have to, uh, almost have to get up and, or if, if, they're, if they're polite, they might sit there, but they're not going to be believing it because mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling that the people who are going to, that, that, that is the audience we're getting, are the people who are tired of network news. And, and in fact, we were talking about this today earlier with Michael Jackson's death, it's becoming very clear that there's no nobody filtering the news anymore. Um, you know, you've got your Debbie Rowe um, interview that suddenly has turned out to be totally false. Um, it, it seems like each interview, e- each new revelation is is put on the nightly news, and then it's to- then it's totally false. And so nobody's even so people are getting tired of the fact that you can't believe what you see on television, and you can't believe the front page of the newspaper. So you have to kind of start looking for yourself, and lots more people are going to find us when they realize that the government's not telling them the whole truth about what's going on in our skies. That's that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if there has been, and, and of course, I, I do weird research in my spare time, and if and, and things can get very, very weird in the weird world, and I'm talking about weird conspiracy. Um, and if, for example, um, I'm, I'm fascinated by a guy named Peter Lavenda right now who's written a bunch of books, and he seems... Like he's tied a lot of things together, and he's it's just fascinating. And if you follow his train of thought, he's going to tell you that since almost since the founding fathers, there have been this there have been kind of secret pockets of people in power who convene and you know do weird things and feel like they're calling down aliens and calling down spirits, and then they're they, it's giving them power. And it's who knows if it's true. But, um, Jeremy, you did a review a while back that kind of was one of the things that got me started on this, and that was that Jack Parsons stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's weird stuff. And it's a whole, there's like a whole secret history of the United States. Um, and so people, once they start to, it's almost like it's a, an edifice that's got holes in it, and there's this bright light inside, and, and people walking by suddenly see this bright light, and they say, what's that? 
and the edifice is crumbling. And so, I mean, it's they they come to publications and and um, podcasts like this to hear intelligent people say, you know what, we've started to investigate what else there is, and. But the, but but believe me, the people who like Greer and the people who who listen to Billy Meyer um, are just not going to be listening to us because they think that we are sour. Or... Yeah, yeah. Well, I get that. I mean, there's certainly there's always going to be a percentage of people who think Bush was the greatest president. Doesn't matter, right. You know what they lived through. Uh, that, so, I and get... I, I know I know some of them personally. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> but the my problem is, um, at, you know, and you can use the Michael Jackson example, or even Peter Lavenda, is uh, because I've read the first of his uh, trilogy of books, um, and I thought it was fantastic, and I really... Oh, you did, you read it, yeah. Yeah, yeah I really one, wanted to get it, the next two, but I, I loved it because it is a fascinating yarn that is completely untrue, you know? It's like, like I'm reading oh, really? going, this is a great book, I don't believe any of it, and it's the same thing... Well, really... Um, Jackson, but, but hold on, but the point is that you if, if you keep throwing enough stuff out there, it doesn't matter that there wasn't an interview with Debbie Rowe, the mm-hmm. residual effect is that people... Uh, you know, have heard enough of it that they now believe, well, something must have happened, you know. Uh, those kids must not be his, or he must have molested children, or he right, must have right, died right. of painkillers. Well, yeah, whatever. but here's, here's the thing. Here's what our job is, all of us, because we're all in the media right now. For Like it or not, we're not big deal media people, but we're in the media. And I've been in the media my whole life. And here's our job. People need to have somebody... Um, do the research and try to tell the truth. And so you guys, and the way you do this is this, you establish a personality and you say, you know, crap does not get past me. I promise you that. And you tell people that and you try to stand up for that. And that, and then, um, and, and, you know, if you're very honest and you don't have anything to lose and you don't like change your mind and suddenly start, you know, um, uh, playing with people, you then are one of the people that people are going to turn to in the new journalism. I mean, right now, unbeknownst to um, the rest of the world, print journalism is dying. Uh, it's dying a dog's death right now. I mean, it's. When's the last time you guys bought a newspaper? Well, you may you may say yesterday, but I I certainly haven't um, picked up a newspaper. I don't think. Um, or put it another way. Um, when um, we took over this magazine, I got I got a lot of flack for changing the direction of the magazine from a yeah let's talk about news quote unquote to let's give people's opinions, which is what I think is more um, it's the only thing that people would pick this thing up for anymore because news is is constant. It's before there was Twitter, there was still Drudge, and you still could get news constantly on the internet. Um, and everybody who's been on the internet knows how to find their news channels in their own way, mm-hmm. you know. And so, news as we know it isn't something you put into a monthly print magazine. It's stupid. What's the point? Breaking news—it's kind of—it's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. And well, similarly, similarly, you guys are not doing—you're um, not doing a top ten. A music radio station in which you're going to just tell a little bit of something between the top ten hits because it's a different world now. So you have to create a a situation that people can trust, and you guys have both put yourselves on the lines because you know you've done the drugs now even, um, and and live to talk about it. And people can trust you and say, you know, I mean, you're willing to say. Um, I've gone to a conference and didn't like this, 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 and this. 
Now you're all you're both going to run into the same problem I've run into that everybody runs into, and that is Paul somebody Harris. you thought. No, somebody, <laughs> no, <laughs> quite the opposite. Somebody you thought you didn't like, it turns out to be the sweetest person on the planet, and you say, "Why?" You know, I don't feel like beating this person up. This person is delusional or sweet or. You know, you know, and then you so and then you start to then you start to you know then your own little edifice of truth starts to crumble a bit, mm. and so it's it it. Art Bell was able to last as long as he did because he kept on giving you updates on, you know, on his own temperature, you know, mm-hmm. and that's important in a journalist to kind of like tell people, okay, I'm losing my faith here, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. So I think, but I do think that. Um, I think this is an important field, and I think another point that everybody ought to keep in mind is what Nick Redfern wrote about a, a while back. Um, I can't get it out of my mind. I think it's something that I don't know what to do about, and that is, if ever there really is a UFO that everybody can see, or an alien that, you know, or you know, whatever, or there's a terrible, terrible scare or something, they're, you know, we are going to be the last people anybody talks to. We're going to be trampled as everybody runs to Katie Couric. You know, or 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 Geraldo even like, what do you guys think? You know, and and that's kind of disconcerting to think about. But I can I can't find a way around that actually. I I think we're all laboring, we're doing the hard work, but we will be trampled and laughed at. You know, and just you know, it's like nobody wants to hear what you guys have to say. Let's let's ask the real people who have ignored this all these years. Let's ask them what they think. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know what to do about that, but yeah, <laughs> I I. I got nothing on that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I saw that from long ago, and I saw the problem of, you know, a Mac who comes in or even a Streber uh, who's somebody from the outside, famous right. on their own, big on their own. They come in, they get taken a task from people in ufology who don't want them there, but then those same people turn around and say, why doesn't the mainstream take us seriously? Why don't, you know. I know, I know, I know. And, and, and both Bill and my, yeah. problem. Right, and then, uh, you know, Bill and I both came into this field from other fields. Um, and, of course, we did come, we both came from academia, which is very vicious and very backstabbing, um, but not as backstabbing as this, because sometimes the people doing the backstabbing are yahoos. They really are, um, you know, they, they really are pulling up suspenders and coming out of the swamp. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a problem a nice that way. Yeah. Not to name names. But you know, well, no so one's names. yeah. I don't know who who you know who came out of a swap. Oh lordy! But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, but one of your favorite uh, Keystone cops is one of the people who a few years ago, uh, actually, when I was complaining about UFO magazine, and I was saying, well, you know, of all the stuff we're we're talking about here, you know, aren't they guilty of? you know, promoting the same sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this nameless person said, no, because you're a magazine and you've got a, an entirely different set of rules to play by. You have to sell that thing. Uh, you have to come up with stories monthly. Um, it's not your, 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 it's not even your job to sort of ferret out what the truth is. It, you know, um, I don't know. Something about that made me feel better and it makes me think that I don't understand why why you're even worried about, like, advertising, like how advertising goes over. I mean, look at all the crap they sell in comic books. That's, like, the fun of a comic book. Yeah, to exactly. Me, to me, it's fun to look at my column and then look down at the bottom and see um, Asian wives for sale or whatever. I did that on purpose. <laughs> I did that on purpose. 
<laughs> I have choices when I lay this thing out. I did it on purpose. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. It was good. Yeah, you know, that was I, that was on purpose. And the thing is, actually, I do. Um, well, the thing, it's it's just in this particular case, the magazine is. I mean, it's a, it's a nutty topic. We have so little. All we have, um, you know. First of all, you're you're basically if you're buying this magazine, and I hope people do. Uh, you're buying my vision of it, okay? That's that. We're we're just going to start with that. And 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 when you, Jeremy, were the first, you were the first columnist I brought in. Uh, we had had we were lucky enough to have had uh, Hieronymus up uh, before you. Uh, he's um, uh, he has uh, Laura Courtner writes it every every month, and she does a fabulous job because he they interview great people. They've been in this business, and they, you know, they're they're really great people to start with. They interview great people. They're always kind of pushing into stuff ahead. They've got really good credentials and really good friends. So yeah, they. So he was a columnist first, and that was because of Bill. And then when I when I brought you in, Jeremy, I knew exactly what I was doing. Here was, you know, because I wanted to make this a a readers' magazine for ideas, and. You know, you have never, ever, ever disappointed. Every single time you write, the, you know, ideas flow. And um, the people who want, you know, I got, got a lot of flack. People want, you know, a column saying late-breaking news. Or um, or we get, we get criticized for not doing um, investigative things. Well, you know, who am I going to pay to go out and investigate? I mean, it's kind of crazy. And it... Are my investigators that I've paid going to then knock on the doors of government and then get shot? Because they're not going to get in. I mean, all we've got right now are opinions and um, weird people's experiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very unusual topic, and I think I'm being much more honest by doing what I'm doing instead of saying we've investigated this. I mean, the investigations, as you come to see, you know, some of the people who said they were investigators just pulled a couple of stories up from Google, and that was that. And right. we've well, yeah. we've There's lived to that. really suffer from that. I mean, we've you know, um, so that didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, so I'm not sure I answered your question, but no, yeah. Well, there wasn't. I was, I was really just sort of, um, I guess, trying to make the point that even you know that I don't really think you have anything to apologize for in terms of the magazine. Well, I do have a lot to apologize for. It, I cannot That's what get... I meant. I meant you have a lot to apologize for in terms of the magazine. But, yeah. Well, it's just that I can't get it out quick enough. Jeff, and that's a joke. Yeah. And joke. also, um, you know, let's be honest. It's it's on it's on it's on lousy paper. Makes people unhappy. But you know, um, I really it's it's. I almost feel a mission with this thing at this point. I really um, I think it's important, and I think it's important that it still exists and. Um, I truly, truly wonder what's going to happen uh, with UFO Hunters because if UFO Hunters doesn't come back for a fourth season, I don't know whether there'll be enough readers for this thing. I'm really worried about that. So, you know, so I, we just don't know. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have Bill back, um, but at the same time, mm, I wonder. You know, well, you know, you, you know, you know as well as I do, Nancy. You don't want Bill home and underfoot while you're trying to do a magazine. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I, I have to ask a, a question about Corsa. Going back to that, mm-hmm. um, you made the the statement that you know guys who are into that whole field you know don't come out or rarely mm-hmm. come out. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that that holds any sway with uh, 
with my thought that is, you know, uh, I, I put very little stock in any of these quote unquote whistleblowers that come forward out of government positions or high ranking military, uh, for the simple sake that, um, uh, you know, for so long, this kind of, uh, of information or, or so they say, so the, so the masses say that this has been hidden from us and this has been lied about to us mm-hmm. and, and those lies have been aggressively defended by. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You know, my, um, wait, wait, wait. My battery's dying. Okay. Cut. Makeup. <laughs> I, I'll be in my trailer. I can't, I can't work like this. this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Does this work? Uh huh. Okay. So I've got. A, I got a. Wow. This is. Can you hear me? Yes. Mm-hmm. Nancy Burns, ladies and gentlemen, has just switched phones. Yeah, this is the Rocky phone. So if, if we get a call, there'll be the Rocky theme. <laughs> Which well, is cool. I mean, I mean, where I was going with that was, was you know, the the idea that these are the people who were allegedly involved in this cover-up, and now all of a sudden they want to talk about it, and we're right, just right, so right. all too reticent to believe them based on, right. oh, they're military, or, or they were intelligence, or... Yeah, 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 well, I hear you. I mean, do you think it's entirely possible that that for whatever reason, and I don't claim to know any, any cover-up ideals or... Or, or directions, but is it possible that, um, you know, someone came to Corso and said, hey, look, old man, you're, uh, you know, you're up in years, you don't have a lot of years left, but you've got one last duty you can perform for this country, and here it is. Um, I think I think he took it upon himself to do that, and they led him is what I think happened, because mm-hmm. I don't think they're that creative that they say, you're going to disclose stuff to the world. I think he just has always been a guy who likes to spin yarns, and he, you know, had been he's been he had been writing his memoirs, and 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 um, here's the weird part. And everything I say sounds like I think he's just making it all up, but I can guarantee you that when you check on him and his his um, his passion to say that. Uh, the uh, prisoners of war were kept, you know, we have left behind men from all the different wars, and that's heartbreaking. And that really made him mad, and he wanted to whistleblow on that. Okay, that's not UFOs. He simply, and this is what's chilling, he threw the UFO stuff in, and it had the same level of importance to him as POWs, as Kennedy's assassination, um, as the paperclip stuff after the Second World War. He simply felt this was just another thing the government was doing that he didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where I thought you were going to go, Jeff, was to one of your, one of your main um, thoughts, which I've heard you talk about before, and that is the black budget, which, again, that should be something that everybody should be wondering about. It's so mm-hmm. fascinating. The, the black budget has created perhaps things that we can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that could be what a lot of people are seeing and what a lot of people, you know, et cetera. So I thought that's where you're going to go with that. And I do think that's totally true. Um, however, it would, it, it seems logical that a lot of that came from out there. You know, there might be some out there stuff, um, you know, mechanical stuff. There's high strangeness, what, what we call high strangeness or dimension jumping or something. Um, and then of course you guys both, individually tried um, psilocybin, which Terrence McKenna suggests that might be the alien presence among us, and we're just the farmers for it. So, it, you know, I mean, there's a lot going on that, that is black for us, not just the black budget. 
um, or black ops. And I think that um, just just from what I, I mean, you're, I'm talking instinct at this point with Corso. You know, um, we as book packagers, we have to always kind of take the measure of somebody and figure out what to do with them and their story, because it may be a great story, but it's got to hold up through all kinds of legal vetting and interviews and stuff like that. And Corso held up. In fact, he held up. He performed pretty well. And I saw him flower and change his story somewhat in the course of all the media attention he was getting which tells me that he was kind of forming it as he went along too, mm-hmm. you know? So, so when all the attention came forward to him, he kind of, Oh, there's too many people listening, that type of thing. Like, no, 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 just the opposite. The more he heard that people like the story, the more I feel he, mm, okay. Opposite way. Yeah. Okay. The, uh, this is just a feeling. Um, I, I don't know. You just get a feeling that he just, he loved the attention um, he he felt that finally he was getting attention. And, and let's just say he's a guy who probably did fabulous things in his life, and did it all in secret. So you know, give the guy some give the guy some attention. Who cares? Um, but what, what we're stuck with, you know, the people who are still around is what what's true and what's not true. You know, right? We I mean, really have you, a, a reason you, to want to know that. What do you say to? Um... I mean, I think the thing that pops in off the top of my head is the fiber optic thing where they actually right. trace fiber optics back to the the woman who originally conceived of that idea and and, uh, and, and worked decades uh, to make it happen. I mean, what do you say to that when Corso included that as one of the, the, you know, the mainstays of the alien technology that was then given to private contractors to develop? I mean... Well, it could there have been. There know. seems to be an ample timeline to say that that's just not the case. Well, it, what, here, here's what we seem to know from Corso. What he seems to, um, st- the story that he sticks to is that he had a bunch of things. And one of the things, I mean, everything he described was pretty, um, uh, let's just say it was described by, a guy who didn't know what he was handling. So the fiber optics was one thing. The laser kind of pen or uh, the laser mm-hmm. cutter was another thing. And so it's possible that that stuff he talks about wasn't from Roswell, but was from thrown in from other things as well. Hmm. So it could have been older than that for all we know. I mean, in other words, we we weren't privy to... Had we been able to interview Trudeau, for example, I bet we would have found out a lot more. Um, I have a feeling Trudeau was way higher than Corso, and I get I get emails all the time that there were crashes before this that you know that the government's been gathering stuff um, uh, that Arnold that there's a crash where Arnold was you know that guy right yeah that and you know I get stuff all the time from very legitimate sounding people and you know I don't have a research staff to follow it up but I don't know I don't know I think I think what Corso did for all of us perhaps, would suggest that the government's got more going on than we know about. I think that's the big story. That, um, And I think the second big story is that no, um, no business, no copyright holder, no patent holder ever contacted Simon & Schuster, monster publisher. I don't know what the tapping is on the phone. Is that not someone walking? Huh? Jeff? Yeah, I, I, I've... Um... I'm hearing noises in the room. <laughs> oh, 
I'm I'm totally serious. Yeah, I'm uh, hearing weird noises too, but and I can't imagine it's the Rocky phone. Maybe who knows? No, I've been it's a, hearing it's a really cheap phone. What kind of noises? Uh, I don't know. Uh, just kind of well, one sounded like the door opening two or three times, and I turn around, and there's nothing going on. But yeah, I'm, uh, here, I'm hearing that too. Now here, you know, and here's another thing. Like when I'm talking about your brains. When your brain, when the two of you, when your brains get stimulated a certain way, I think it calls stuff in. Um, you, it's what you talked about. If you talk about this, it seems to bring it so hmm. interesting. So. Yeah, and I, I've kind of, I've almost reevaluated that in in a lot of ways um, lately, and and and, and I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I'm. I mean, my my whole thing with this is always changing <laughs> because well, sure, something yeah. something's always popping in to kind of make me reevaluate what I what I see and why I see it um, and, and I don't think that this it's anything in particular unique about myself other than uh, other than I probably focus on it and make it my intent to see such a thing uh, because it no, 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 you, no, 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 you you're gonna have to accept that there's something unique um, you know, because you wouldn't, because somebody else, uh, your next door neighbor may want to see stuff so badly and mm. nothing, nothing happens. So in a way you're lucky and in a way you're damned, you know? Well, I think, I mean, I, I had a guy on above top com a, a long time ago when I, when I did put the part of my, my account out there and just to see what people would say about it. Um, because at the time I was taking a lot of guff over the, the Meyer thing. That was like the big deal at the time, and everybody wanted to know why I was so vicious about people like that. And you know. always had, and always have been. I mean, I've always been that way. Uh, not with just Meyer, but with uh, any number of other cases that have come up that are just so so much nonsense. Um, and when I put that out there, I had a guy tell me, "He's like, you know, do you you wouldn't know how much money I'd give to have an experience like that." Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, I made a point to tell him, well, you know, you can, there's, there's really, I don't think there's anything stopping you from doing that. The problem no, is, no, is that, no, no, I disagree. You know, I don't think, I don't think you can make it happen. Well, I, I think you can, if you ask the right questions. I mean, I think nah, that's always no, been think my so. thing. You know, nah, I, I don't mean, think so. No, I think it's like musical ability or graphic ability or any of I don't think so. I think you can, I mean, first of all, what comes to you, you couldn't have invented. I bet you. If you if you oh, thought no. about it for fifty years, you couldn't have invented it. Um, and it, when yes. it came to you as a little kid, you weren't bringing that in. You know, Correct. you you know, you might have been praying for um, I don't know your age, but you might have been praying for um, a toy. You know, but not <laughs> and not a, not an experience. Right. And um, I I disagree because you know I, every once in a while. Um, I, I I don't mean to. I I hope this doesn't happen. But there's a part of me that really wishes I could I could that something would happen where I would I would totally know that this is all real. And I real and then on the then then the other part of it is says you know it's cool it's cool <laughs> I don't really want to know that. But you know I um because I've been raised Catholic I have a great belief a great faith system I totally utterly believe in God and everything. But you know I've really never had anything that I can. And also, when you know there are these people, I mean, there are people that I love. Um, they swear that they're being visited and by angels and stuff and all this stuff. And I just, I'm just not seeing it. Um, mm. But I, I do trust the people. Don't lie. I think it's know. the way that this thing operates, and and the way I've seen it for 
uh, a lot of other. I mean, we've even had a. Uh, well, I can't say if it was this show or or my previous podcast where, you know, I mentioned this thing about just becoming focused on 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 the enigma itself and what do you want to see? What do you what what kind of experience do you want? Right. And I actually had um, one person completely disappear off the board, and another guy flatly came up and said to me um, publicly, I think, on on one of the message boards uh, that was on my blog. He said, "You know, I, I got to say that that what you've what you've related on your show is absolutely true. Is that I've never seen anything my whole life, and now within a four week period, hmm. uh, I've had six sightings." Uh, and he said, "I'm backing off of this because I simply can't handle this kind of." Uh, yeah, well, that thing, you know, and and that is true because it, I've always said to people that it's one thing to talk about this stuff, and it's one thing to do a podcast or do a lecture, but when it's standing in the floor in front of you, that's a yeah. totally different thing that you don't really understand what you're asking for when you say, "I would really like to see something." Right, exactly. Because from that point on, your world as you knew it before really doesn't have the same ring to it anymore. Um, yeah. Well, it depends. It, it depends. If you saw something um, that was uh, sweet and wonderful, like little fairies floating around, you'd say, "Great, thank you." But but here's the thing, um, and here's an interesting phenomenon because it's it, this ties into what you're just talking about. And remember, I said that when I would try remote viewing and stuff, I kind yeah. of like stepped away from it. Well, I have a feeling it's just a theory that everything that's evil and creepy and horrible, because I'm a housewife at base, and I wrote my novel about being a housewife. I think that everything that's horrible and evil is the easier side of this. That is, the easier to access side. It's for lazy people. It's, it, it involves entropy. It involves um, just lazy kind of, it's like easily gotten like bad bugs at the bottom of the mountain or something. And if you, like for example, there are things I just won't do. And I'm not that excited about reading the Lavenda book for this reason, because there's certain things that just certain shows you might watch or certain books you might read that put you in this kind of like icky kind of frame of mind where you just feel like everything's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think the, 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 the way you know the devil is whispering in your ear is when you hear the phrase, what's the use? Because what's the use to me is one of the most negative things that you could hear. What's the use? You know, um, I, often, um, I often think about that. But, and as a housewife, entropy is your big enemy. If you don't keep on trying to clean things up, spruce things up, and freshen things up, if things just die and rot right right in front of you. And um, there is, and I think a life force is the the bright side, the good side. So I think that um, when you were talking about this might be an evil thing, I think evil is the earlier stages of it, the easy stages of it. The um, it can be evil if that's what you want it to be. Yeah, it's the reflection of of and and I've I've compared this to being the reflection of what you yeah exactly to be. I mean, yeah. yeah and and as you know um, to be evil or to have an evil uh, mindset you kind of aren't building anything you're not making anything you're just destroying stuff you're just kind of kicking around and um, I mean it, it all goes with everything that's kind of entropic but on the on the flip side if you do what all the new age people say, and that is just kind of um, ask to be a vessel of uh, a vessel of good, of uh, a force for the good, a force for light. Then I think your life is guided, and you don't have to. Or, but here's the weird thing, and you can't. The, the, evil seems to be wallow, uh, kind of when you're wallowing and stuff. And I, 
um, I know this sounds really, really weird, but the, but whenever I was when I, when the Amityville horror thing was happening, I mm. found that I could never go near that story, that movie, that book. I literally couldn't have it in my life, or bad things would happen. Um, I've always loved houses, and I for some reason found that story interesting. And that's another thing I can go into that the horror stories of the of of each generation have to do with, I think making your biggest fears real. So the Amityville Horror caught on when everybody, my generation was buying houses. It's like, that's the most horrible thing that can happen. You buy a house that's losing value. <laughs> <laughs> or the uh, the Exorcist was when, you know, my generation was raising kids and it's like, oh my God, you got a, you got a kid whose head is turning all the way around. That's not good. <laughs> it's just not good. But um, what's weird, in a similar way, I know this sounds crazy, but I think it's it's even personal for each person. When I um, first got um, uh, music on my on my Macintosh and found that I could get music, I was thrilled with um, being able to hear songs again and good sound system and all that stuff. And so I got kind of got involved with listening to this fellow. He's a brilliant. He's brilliant. His name is. Um, I'm zoning on his name. Uh, he's Jewish. He's he's basically a poet, and he's very dark. Two live Jews? No, no, no. no. He's still alive. He's got a really big nose. Oh, this is going I, really wrong. And I, yeah. But anyway, whenever I listen to his stuff, my life goes to hell in a handbasket. I finally had to throw all his stuff away. Um, can't think of his name even. That's kind of weird. But um, he's a great artist. And Tony so for Dennis? some... No, no, no. Tony Bennett. <laughs> I was just thinking of big-nosed people. Uh. Well, you know, the, he's Jewish. He's a monk now. He's a great poet. Um, he's got a great, um, great body of work. Is he a shape-shifting reptilian as well? No, but you know what? But when, I, but but see, I think what happens is, and and one of the songs was about the, uh, it was called uh, like after the party, the party's over. It was like a party's over type song. Um, try to think of his name. And his songs, but I would listen to his songs. They were so rich and so fabulous, and yet my life would go to hell. Like I would get a call. Like we would think, you know, something good was going to happen, and we get a call, and the and the book was canceled. Stuff like that, mm-hmm. to the point where you just say, "Get rid of." So I got rid of all the music, and then I tried again. I figured I liked him so much, I I need to hear this music, and bad things started happening again. So I think that's what evil is. I think evil is whatever is your personal giving up whatever that is whatever and the people who make you feel like giving up i think they are they are they are working on the dark side without even realizing it well, what were you going to say you, you you almost had an aside and then you and then you quit on it about the new age people were you going to say that that when they say uh you create your own reality and, and all that that um that that becomes their crutch um what do you mean I'm not sure what you no, mean no you 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 had said something about the new age new age people you'd said you know, on the one hand, you've got um, uh, 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 evil. <laughs> you've got the giving up, right? Right. That, um, that voice, and then, but then the new age people say something. Well, the thing about new age people, um, I just finished. I had to do an index for a new book the Bill just finished, and um, it's about the history of not the history of religion in the United States. It's, but it's basically the. And in fact, you guys maybe want to do something on this, but it's. Um, and it's not the Lavenda version of the United States, but it's basically the the spiritual side of the country, what what people were believing. And 
before there was New Age, there was this thing called spiritualism all through the 19th century. And, um, and then came New Age. And quite frankly, it, the thing that I kept wondering about, and this probably answers your question, I think, maybe, people always really need to believe in something. They need it so badly. And what keeps happening is people, okay, so the human race wants to believe in something. And they start to look up at the sky or they start to dance around and they're all happy and they're believing. And then in no time at all, a Stephen Greer or a, uh, a more religious person, like I don't want to say any names because then all religion, you know, people get mad. A religious person will say, okay, fine, I'm going to chunk out this part right here. And you, you're supposed to believe this with your heart and soul. And then you're supposed to hate everybody over this line. And that becomes that religion, and then another religion, and another. And so during the Salem witchcraft stuff, um, witches were bad, but invisible cloud beings were good. You know, whatever, you know. I mean, it's all the same. It's all of the same fabric. It's all illusion, and it's all invisible, and it's all belief, and it's all, you know. And yet, people come along, New Age people, they make a fortune by chunking out a little section and saying absolutely positively this is what you're supposed to believe. And, of course, that's what's happening in the UFO field right now. You've got uh, the parrots saying we're chunking out this little section. And you can trust that anybody we say is good, great, until we, until we tear them down. And then everybody else you can hate, hate, hate. And I think I actually think that's almost illegal. I think it's almost fomenting, you know, people throwing things at people at conferences, I think it's a really bad thing to do. Huh, wow, I didn't think you were going to go there. Jesus. Well, because because they've turned on Bill, and I just it makes me so angry. I mean, we have never done anything to that show except support them, and they've turned on Bill just because the mood is, let's turn on people, let's chunk out this little space. And they're no different from, you know, the Calvinists or the witch burners. You know, we've, you know this is the little inside spot, and everybody else is now on the outside, and we're going to move the... I'm telling you, they keep on picking up their little circus tent and moving it, and so now suddenly Dolan's on the outside. And next week it'll be somebody else. It's just crazy. You know what's interesting about that Dolan, uh, you know, supporting Laura, whatever her name is, who wrote the book right. about, you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, helping these, we're helping their sales so much. Well, I, I saw that book in the store, and I looked at the back cover, and for all the crap Dolan's getting, Phil and Brogno also has a positive review on it. Oh, really? Yeah, so why wow. aren't they laying into Phil and Brogno? Well, probably because they don't know about it, because, you know, Alfred Weber... They haven't, they haven't, they haven't gotten to him yet, is all. <laughs> they just haven't gotten to him yet. Um, I mean, they're going to run out of, they're going to run out of victims at a certain point, because this is not a huge field. But, um, but I wouldn't, you know, I'm, I'm, I am, as a listener, I'm sad about this, because there goes a good show. You know, it's gone into, it's gone into nutty territory. And each and every show is kind of like it's hard to listen to because you never know when there's going to be this. It's like it's like watching somebody who's possessed. Suddenly they're going to start screaming, you know. And you know you can't trust them, you know, at your dinner table because they're just going to turn. But aren't you Bill friends with Gene Roddenberry? Um, I think we're friends with Gene and with Dave. I think we're friends because whenever Bill talks to them, they're very very nice on the phone and stuff. And as I said, we've always been supportive, but. They on you know as their public persona as their as their shtick as their gig um, are hating on us and they're letting they're letting the hatred um, just go crazy you know to the point where they're basically I mean you know I mean how can you call somebody who's got all of the degrees Bill's got how how can you call him a fraud I mean you know he's not a fraud he's nowhere near a fraud 
is he mistaken about Corso? I don't know. Well, do you separate between uh, them tearing down Bill and people on their forum? Or do you figure it's all the same? No, they're, 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 they're setting it up. They're focusing the hatred. They're creating the forum, and they are stroking it to the point where they're patting on the head the people who do the most damage. So, no, they're, it's, they're stoking the fire. They're, they're saying, you know, I mean, Gene could have stepped in at any point and said in the early stage and said, look, Bill's a friend. This is crazy, like you've done. And, and you know, it's sort of like if you're going to just hate, defend, you know, say what you hate about. I mean, you can hate the way Bill's voice sounds. You can hate the way he's enthusiastic. And I hate the way he, he just goes off on a tangent and you can't get a word in edgewise. But, <laughs> but you know, is that does that mean he's a fraud? It's crazy. It's mean. And it's, um, you know, I mean, you both have felt the wrath of it. Um, and, of course, when you got, when you guys were going... At when you were when you were all friends, I was really I was scared constantly that you know that you were good that you turn on me or the magazine. I was fearful of that, and that's that's just it's a chilling kind of thing. And now I feel bad saying that, but you know it was a worry because they it, it was like it was like a drunken brawl. Um, and I'm talking specifically about uh, David Banner. He's he's a very dynamic personality, and he just wherever his um, eyes light wherever his eyeballs like you know wherever he whoever he decides to to look at you know could be the one that gets it next and um you know it's a chilling kind of thing and yet he supposedly has had experiences and wants the truth but has created this kind of chilling thing and you can cut all this out you know, <laughs> no what I mean. Go, baby, go. No, you don't know what I'm saying. I think, but uh, but uh, you know, honestly, I think that for a person who wants people to be kind to him and his story, he's awfully, awfully unkind to other people, and that's you know, you can say that. Yeah, but, you don't think that Jeff and I suffer the same fate? What do you mean? I mean, uh, you don't. Well, or I'll just use me. You don't think that I'm mean to people? Uh, in spite of not wanting people to be mean to me? I mean, do you not think that I am the same hypocrite that Dave Banner is? Um, I think you are, first of all, you're, 99% of the time you're clowning around. Well, that's true. And David Banner is not clowning around. He is, um, he's just, he's an angry man, as, you know, as he's gone on to, um, to create a show about. I think that, I also think that you are, you know, no offense, you're consistently picking on people who are kind of asking for it. I mean, you know, they're pompous, they're out there, they're saying, you know, give me your money and, you know, give me more of your money, and that's kind of what you're talking about, but you're not necessarily, um, you're not calling people a fraud just because they you don't like who they associate with. Like, you know, I mean, I just, I just feel they've gone too far. Of course, of course I think they've gone too far because of Bill. Um, I know Bill really well, and, and, and et cetera, and, and, you know, I mean... Well, uh, be I, I find it kind of shocking that, you, that you're saying that you're... I, I didn't realize that you were still considering yourself friends with Dave. I, I, I wasn't sure about Gene, but if you're still friends with him, uh, with either of them at this point, and you feel, well, here, like, I mean, here's and you the feel thing. like I mean, attacking you, then isn't that just the ultimate hypocrisy on the part of a show that claims to constantly be getting at the truth? Well, here's the thing. Um... Here, here's I kind of I think I lost my train of thought, but it, it goes like this. Um, I think David Banner is a very uh, intriguing character and very, very just terribly intriguing, and I can't not like him. Okay, I've said that before, and I, I really do mean that. I think he's an absolutely fascinating character. 
he is a bully. Uh, I wish that he would let other people talk. Like, for example, I would never be able to have this conversation with him because he would, he would shout me down um, and then just go on. And I would, you know, I would feel it's just not worth the fight to keep trying to get my words in. But so there's that. And so I really think he's an admirable person. And, and, and here's the thing. I, I just, he sets himself up as a great authority, and I wish that he would respect what I do. I really, you know, you want people like that to respect what you do, because, you know, he's my ideal reader, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so, but the thing was, was the thing about, um, about attacking on Bill, I think, for reasons unknown, they are different people when, the, uh, when they're on the air. They are trying to... I actually think it's an act. I think they're, it's like they're trying to, um, they're not telling the truth. They're not telling the truth. Like when, when he hung up on Bill, um, that's just crazy. And yet he was friendly with him before, during, and after the hanging up. And yet the hanging up was like, oh, it gave his, it gave his people a chance to say, okay, fine, I get it. You hate him. And we're going to hate him too. And he, and nobody ever stepped in to, um, to disabuse anybody. So that hate just kind of got worse and worse and worse to the point where I felt that I had to write something because it was, they were attacking the magazine and I just felt this is crazy because I felt that with all the writers of the magazine, if I didn't stand up for them, um, you know, who's going to speak for, who's going to, who's going to stand up for this thing? Um, I, but I did, I, I went crazy at first, but I waited a whole week before I wrote anything. And so, you know, that was toned down. But um, that's how. That's what I'm saying. That's the bad thing, and it's that's what that's what it does. I mean, in in the course of all this, wouldn't it be nice if we were getting closer to the truth instead of, you know, forcing the one and only magazine left to to have to defend itself or, yeah. you know, talking about is Bill an irritating person? Well, you know what, Bill's managed with his weird personality to to get this to get a TV show on for three seasons, hopefully four. But uh, and I think that's that's quite an accomplishment. Um, it's still it's still put it much more into the public eye. I think I think that's a really good trailblazing thing. I think we're going to have more people reading and watching and learning about UFOs because of this. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that 99 percent of the people who come to the magazine because of this will stay. So anyway, so yeah, tangents tangents are. <laughs> so so Jeff, have I offended you? Me? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just let me know if I do, because I, I need to. <laughs> I I just I I I stay out of discussions like that right now because. Uh, uh, can't say as I blame you. Can't say as I blame. You. Look, I have uh, nothing, nothing to lose. You've got, you guys have got a lot more to lose. Nancy Burns, everybody. Nancy Burns. Nancy, thank you very much for uh, for coming on Peritopia. You were nervous. You didn't want to come on. You didn't know if you could fill an hour. You filled more than an hour. Yeah, uh, and it was as bad as I thought. <laughs> oh, excellent! <laughs> well, no, I, I never yeah. hear from you again. I mean, no, come back anytime. I I appreciate that. I had a total lot of fun, Good. Uh, so to speak. And I'm lying when I say that. Well, wait a minute. No, I'm, ki- I'm kidding. <laughs> I can't leave it on that. Note. Kidding, kidding. You guys are gonna, you know, I, God knows what you're gonna say. Um, you know, God <laughs> oh, knows. Come on. <laughs> what do you think you are? Yeah. Well, look, I was I, there, I did not lie about a single thing I said, and you can check it. I will give you references. Yes, indeedy. There's nothing that you can't check, so you can't say that I was lying about anything. Uh uh-uh. uh Well, it better check out, sister. That's it all we better can check. Say. It better check out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you guys. I love you guys. You know that.
Yes. In, in yeah. Review. And you don't deserve it, but there you go. <laughs> Wow. The Den Mother of Ufology people, <laughs> Nancy Burns. Yeah. You're listening to my good friends Jeremy Vaney and Jeff Ritzman laugh their way through ufology on Paratopia, the UFO show for the rest of us. <laughs> Three, two, one. No, I always start. You go. Three, two, one. So the Jeremy... <laughs> I hate you. How about that, Nancy Burns? How about her, eh? I think she's great. Yes, uh, I enjoy her. Much different take on uh, Corso than I thought uh, she would have being Bill Burns' wife. Yeah, I was really glad to hear that. You know, all of that. Um, I mean, you know, I still find Corso to be completely interesting, and um. Uh, so here I am learning that you can perhaps be telling the truth and embellishing at the same time. Who'd have known? Who'd have thunk? Well, I, I don't know. What sticks in my head about the whole thing is that, you know, that, that would be the kind of guy who would be kind of solicited by the government to spread more disinfo, whether it be, I mean, and she mentioned, you know, there was stuff in there about, you know, the Kennedy assassination, all this. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're going to spread it around, spread it around, right? I mean... I'm not uh, sure if she meant it that way or if she meant in his in his life's work. Uh-huh. In, in his interests and things. Like, right. I think what she was saying is that that and, um, you know, he, he didn't really differentiate his anger between that and, you know... Yeah. Alien cover-up and, and uh, missing an action cover-up and, and whatever. Right. These were all just sort of atrocities of the government, but I didn't. Did you get the sense that she was saying that he was he was saying that he was involved in Kennedy? No, I, I didn't get that. I just thought, you know, what she was saying by going through his paperwork that there was a lot of that kind of thing in there. Hmm. You know, and I mean, hey, just because I don't necessarily buy into the story doesn't mean that you know I disrespect his military service, which was a, a pretty pretty stellar by all counts. I think. Um, uh, I mean, he did he did this country a, a, a lot of good work, but I don't necessarily believe what he's put forth as far as Roswell goes. Hmm. And, that's, and that's just what I've heard, you know, in by way of, you know, the fiber optic story and the integrated circuit and all these things. I mean, all these things can be traced back to their absolute origins, and, and a lot of the shows on History Channel have done that. Uh, so, I don't know. I Roswell for me is a dead issue anyway. It's it's as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's too it's too lost to history and myth making these days to really get anything out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just strictly my take on it. If you want to talk about some, you know, interesting case that's got a got a military twist to it, you know, you can talk about Bentwaters or you can talk about any of those elements. But really, I, I mean, even Bentwaters for me is getting to be, you know, almost giving way to mythos in some cases. Uh, you know. It's going to be embellished over the years as time goes on, just like Roswell was. Right. So I don't know. Um, I thought. By the way, uh, the the long nosed Jewish monk singer she was talking about was Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen. Okay. Uh, but I, you know, you know what made me sad about this was when listening to her talk about about uh, some of the criticisms about Bill that are just sort of you know standard fare for any. So, you know, celebrity, which is like he blinks too much. He has 
you know, he talks too fast, whatever, you know, all that stuff. Like when she was talking about that, you can sort of, I don't know, in the beginning, you can sort of hear her choking up about that. Well, and that I kind mean, of bothers me, you know, it's her husband. I mean, how, how would I feel if it was, you know, um, well, <laughs> I'm going to keep my mouth shut, but recently something was said about my wife by someone else, you know, in TV land and, you know, I know how I felt about that. I can't imagine how it would be times 100 um, by what Bill has got. I mean, when your loved one gets gets lambasted for something that uh, really has nothing to do with what they're doing, but more along the lines of some kind of personal smarmy-ass remark, then, yeah, it becomes that, you know, that hurtful type right. of thing. Yeah. And, and the more you think about, you know, UFO Magazine and what is its mission, you know, its mission was never a science journal, you know, even right. before the Burnses took it over, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know we, we've heard uh, various people on other shows mm-hmm. who used to work for the magazine and still have a stake in it, but don't really talk about that. But um, saying that, you know, back in the day, it used to be a real, you know, hard edge, blah, blah, blah. Well, I went back in the day because I, I actually kept my collection of all those magazines and it never was a, you know, somebody here is delusional because uh, they had interviews with Greer. They had, you know, issues about aliens and angels and right. and all sorts of stuff. And then you take into account pretty much what she said, which is, and you know, to even think about like who these researchers are and the quality of research they're doing in the first place um, almost makes it a moot point on its face, you know, to have a, a scientific or or investigative journal um, on UFOs with these quality of researchers would still, by default, make it not a very good magazine <laughs> for, for research, right. you know? Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had a bunch of old UFO magazines, and uh, um, I, I would have to say that of... Well, I, I remember going into the bookstore and looking for UFO magazine and seeing it, and then seeing all of these other ones that were out at the time, at least here in Maryland, back in the mid '80s, um, you know, and, and early '90s, there was a lot of it was like UFO encounters and UFO this and UFO that. Some of them were just out and out, um, just 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 nutty. And UFO magazine at that point became the lesser of all evils. I mean, it was it did have its moments of ridiculousness, but by and large, it was a lot more serious than its competition. Sure. So. Um, you know, and it's it's a. It, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's a staple of ufology. UFO magazine's always been around, and um, you know, but I don't, I don't I haven't read it to be honest with you in a while. Um, just because, as I've told you before, when I read, I go to sleep. Um, so <laughs> I, I I have something that I'm writing for the magazine now, and um, you know, so I'll I'll probably start start reading it again and trying to pay more attention, but. Well, I guess if I were uh, to say one criticism, you know, of saying, uh, well, um, it should be all opinions anyway, um, so I try to have columnists who are opinionated or whatever, you know, that, that type of mm-hmm. format. Well, but what type of opinion, I mean, is it informed opinion? Is it, uh, like, I'm an experiencer, so I can give you somewhat of an informed opinion on that stuff. Nick Redfern really does go out and investigate stuff. Stan Friedman really does go out and investigate stuff. But then there Kevin are... Ryan. But then there are people who, you know, have opinion columns that are, you know, without naming names and getting into any more online arguments. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it, it's just opinion for opinion's sake. They could be anybody writing that. So right. I, I guess I could see taking issue with that, maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
I'll keep my mouth shut there. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. I mean, whatever. The magazine, you know, you're talking about a column or two, so who cares? Right, right, exactly. Um, you're not going to like all of everything in any magazine. And uh, those advertisements have always been silly from day one yeah. in UFO magazine. You're not going to get away from that. Well, I mean, like she said, you, you're trying to run a, a magazine, which is essentially a business. So you have to you have to take advertising where you can get advertising at that point. It doesn't mean that you endorse the advertising that you're taking on. It's just helping no, to pay I the bills. it's fun, you know? you know? I think it's – I mean, I would love to see a back cover devoted to Greer. That's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> I mean uh, – I mean, you got to buy the ink. you got to buy the paper. You've got to pay to have it printed. you got to – Pay the people to do the artwork and all that. Um, so, Nancy, if you're listening to this, I'll volunteer to do the cover every month, and I don't want any money. My God, what? There. I'll do the cover every month, the cover artwork every month. I would love to do the cover artwork, uh, even if she just wants to give me one month. Give me a size, give me a, give me a bleed size, give me you know a good four-color process, and let me go to work. And if give, me a, time yeah, give me a size. Yes, I would do that. Yes. Wow. Look at you. I'd make time for that, you know? <laughs> so, um, but anyway, um, good show. Really, really good show. It's, it's neat to see what, you know, the editor of such a magazine has to say about the subject itself and, um, and sort of where she stands on some of the personalities and whatnot. So, yeah, it was a good show. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to bed. <laughs> That's it? That's all you got? Yeah, I think so. What about you? <laughs> um, what do you got? Well, let's see. Uh, let me think. Uh, see, I was trying to avoid sounding like a moron. You're just doing it for uh, me. <laughs> hold on. Wait for it. Hold. On. Hey, Michael Jackson died. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Thanks. Let me think. Uh... <laughs> No less than 16 people at last count have killed themselves over his death. Is that right? That's right. Wow. So is he going to hold a record for that as well? Because I don't think even COVID <laughs> garnered 16. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> you know, I, man. Well, I it's a great loss. My destiny is lucky number 17. Shut up. Don't no. say that. No. Who's going to mix the podcast? I mean, that's true. <laughs> that's, that's why I live. Right. <laughs> Um, um, I do want to say that uh, I, I was watching a, a documentary on um, sea life, and it was mostly about squid and octopus, and I mean just crazy looking sea creatures that can switch colors at the drop of a hat and all that sort of stuff. And one of these uh, things was um, some sort of frog. I can't remember the name of it, but it had frog in its title, and I don't know why. It looks nothing like a frog. It basically looks like a bunch of fiber optics held together with tinsel or something, you know. Uh-huh. But it sort of um, disguises itself as, like, a rollicking seaweed on the, the bottom of the floor, and it just sort of floats ar- along. And But it has this one little thing which looks exactly like a fishing line with a worm dangling on it, built into I mean, yeah. it. Yeah. pulls that out, and it dangles it, and the fish go for it, then it eats the, the fish or, you know, whatever. Cool. Um... Which reminds me, because I've seen other animals that, that do things that look like human technology, you know? Um, and doesn't this, does this say anything to you about, about how our imagination, you know, when we invent things that we need, that perhaps we draw on some sort of instinctive, unconscious level 
from other creatures as sort of the pinnacle species of, of this planet. You know, even even there's a, some sort of, I think it was a shrimp or a crab, I think it was a shrimp that had uh, a gun, basically. It, it cocked its own little, you know, shotgun arm and shot sound at the thing to paralyze it, and then it would eat it, you know. But, I it's mean, a gristle, a gristle gun. But yeah, yeah. It went went through the motions of of all of that of basically something you would think that we had invented. And so I don't know. I think about that stuff, and and I think about um, like the computer. You know, we we're still like figuring out what what all this computer is about that we're inventing. And um, uh, hello, did I really just lose you when I said computer? Yes. <laughs> huh. All right, never mind. I'm not going to go on with this with this uh, line of thought anymore because apparently the computer gods don't want me to say what I'm going to say. So, so never mind, Jeff. You are go, we still, you go. are we still recording? <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, so you got all that from watching some fish and shrimp? <laughs> yeah. I am never going to Sizzler with you. <laughs> um. Well, I guess what I'm saying is. Um, I think we invent things based on what we, um, what we, I don't know what I'm trying to say. What, what... Well, I mean, hey, isn't it said that there's no original, like as far as artwork and music, there are no original ideas. There are no, uh, you really don't come up with it on your own, that it's really coming from somewhere else. Yes, but what is Pretty what is the computer? What does the computer do? What is the internet? The internet is this psychic link. It's this thing that's, you know, making a false technological oneness out of humanity. Mm-hmm. Well, one day it's going to come to sentient life, so and then what are we drawing. You know, on? I guess my point is, if 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 for necessity inventions we draw on unconsciously uh, other things that really do exist, what are we drawing on here? Are we drawing on our unconscious knowledge that we really are all this one thing, and we're trying to get that way technologically because we're not there, uh, you know, physically with our brains? Is that what we're doing? I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting thought, but I don't. I, I would. I wouldn't even have. Why did the computer shut off at the exact moment that that I mentioned computer? <laughs> Maybe it's already alive, Jeff. Yes, well, Skynet <laughs> is coming, and uh, you know, I expect to see you on the front lines fighting the uh, cyborgs. Get to the chopper! Get to the chopper! Um, I don't know. I mean, I've always thought, you know, there there is no real original ideas that it is coming from someplace else just by virtue of there's I, and I, I don't know how aware of the music world that uh, the people that are listeners are. But there's a guitarist called Joe Satriani, if you've heard of him before, um, probably one of the best guitarists ever to face this world and play a, an instrument. But he is suing Coldplay for a song that they wrote, which was apparently their big hit in the UK and, and here in the States. I don't know what it's called. La Vida Loca. Is that what it's called? Or something like that? La, La, La Vida something. I don't, I don't like Coldplay, so I don't know. But I noticed online that they had uh, Satriani's melody playing along with Coldplay's melody, and they were virtually identical. So consequently, Satriani is suing Coldplay. Uh, you know, they are saying essentially that they have no idea how you know this melody you know their, their guitarist wrote it and that's the end of it um and and he you know he likes joe satriani but he doesn't believe that he lifted it from it could it could it be a subconscious thing 
that he heard it and then he wrote it into a song? Sure. But is there the slightest possibility that exactly what you're saying, that we're all drawing on something and two people happen to latch on to the same sort of melody or the same sort of idea or, uh, I mean, this stuff happens a lot. Uh, I, I think you get to see it online sometimes a lot too, where someone comes up with a particular idea and out of nowhere, somebody else is saying exactly the same thing at exactly the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it's an interesting possibility, but who, who knows? I mean, who knows? We don't even know what we are. We're trying to figure out the world. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, who knows? I think we do know what we are, Jeff. I think we're afraid of what we are. Uh, well, that's, that's a possibility. Uh, oh, speaking of uh, no and afraid of what you are, right. This is why I've kept you up this, this whole time. Uh, hey, how about catching an EVP during this episode and then going on as if nothing ever happened? <laughs> what the hell is that? You very clearly I... hear a door like slam shut and somebody walking around a room. Uh, yeah, well, and I could hear like yeah. So that happened anyway. <laughs> let's, let's build that as a metaphor into what we were already talking about. It's like really, yeah. <laughs> well, it was it was kind of weird. Um, I think in the George Hansen episode, I mentioned that the room that I'm in you know, what happened to me with the hands on the shoulder type thing. And, and doors are opening around here quite a bit uh, that, that actually Lisa and I sat in bed one day and watched our bedroom door open from a, a locked latched position uh, and watched it open. We, wa- we both sat and watched it because it was clicking and then you just saw the door open. And while we were doing this interview, I heard walking, you know, and keep in mind, my kid is asleep and Lisa is watching TV out in the living room and not moving. And your room uh, isn't that big. There's not my, room my for guitar, somebody pacing around back and forth in there at all. Well, and it's carpeted too. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, um, no, it's not. It's not huge. I'd say it's probably what twelve by twenty, maybe something like that. It's not big, and all my guitars are in here, and uh, my amps, and and my Iron Maiden stuff, and the desk, and the computer, and that's yeah. it, yeah. and the chair. But it was a couple times during this interview that. Well, I told you after I think after we finished with Nancy that the door opened. <laughs> Nobody was there. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I uh, I'm going to try seeing as I got the the blue snowball mic, which is really good mic. Maybe tonight later on I might sit down and try to just ask questions and keep quiet and turn off every appliance in the house and see what we get. Maybe next week we'll put that up if I get anything good. Jeff Ritzman is the new Ouija board. Right. Right. <laughs> Right. But I will I will make note here of you talk about how it's glossed over or it's kind of forgotten in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, when I took those uh, those those photos of that that silver disc back, I don't remember if that was two summers ago or one summer ago. I'd have to check my emails and see. You know, I talked about trying to send those to Dr. Maccabee to look at. And I haven't done it yet. It's just always when I sit down to do something like that, it was always something to divert my attention or it gets in the way of doing what I sat down to do. He still has not seen them. So I think I said last week I was going to put them up. I still haven't put them up yet, but I'm going to put a link on the message board. I think sometime this week. So you all can look at the entire series. I think it's 13 photographs and it starts out pretty much not overhead, but relatively close. And I shoot it until I literally couldn't see it anymore. And it moved pretty quick. The, I, I, the scenario was, is that we were at my mom and dad's and we had done kind of like a, like a little, multi-family yard sale and uh, just to get rid of some junk. And uh, after it was over, we were packing the tables up. Uh, Lisa and I were sitting on the front step at mom's house and um, we were just talking and I looked almost directly up overhead to stretch 
And here is this black circle hanging over, uh, I mean, hanging directly over the house, practically. I would say it might have been as far out as the street, but it looked like it was almost over top of us. And as I looked, it was still, and then as I sat there for a second, just going, uh, 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 it began to move to my left, to which I promptly jumped up, ran in the house, and mom's camera was beside the microwave right inside the kitchen door. I grabbed it, turned it on, ran outside, and as I ran outside, it was probably, uh, instead of being directly over the front of the house, it was off towards the the right-hand side. And I just started clicking every time the camera would, it was old digital camera, and I just started clicking. Every time it would allow me to click, I shot pictures, and I never took my eyes off of it. And it, be, it, it kind of lazily drifted. Uh, like I said, if you were at the house, sitting at the front door facing out towards the street, it drifted left. Once it got to a certain point, which I would say was probably more along the lines of over top the neighbor's house or in the middle of the street, uh, my parents are on a corner lot, that's began, that began it picking up a lot of speed to, to start just moving in this very straight, you know, way. And, uh, it didn't, didn't necessarily wobble, but I think that when it, when it went to, to go into that fast mode, it looked like it kind of rocked backwards and tilted its rear end up and then started to go forward. Um, and I shot it until it was a, a little tiny white dot and you'll see all of those photographs there. So anybody knows what the hell it is. I'm open for questions. I can't analyze my own photographs. That's just not something I'm going to do. So, um, so I'll leave it to everybody else to tell me what they think it is. It was silver, um, not mirror type silver, but, but shiny, kind of a brushed color. Um, and, and definitely, definitely in, in not chrome, but definitely a brushed silver. So, you know, if anybody wants to zoom them and, and uh, blow them up or try and get some kind of scale off of it. That was the weird thing about it is I really couldn't tell how far away it was. It was very hard to tell despite being a pretty much a clear sky. I would say, I don't know, 10 seconds after I started shooting, I could tell it was getting to be a fairly good distance. Mm-hmm. And the first thing out of Lisa's mouth was balloon. And I'm like, not that far away. <laughs> I don't think it's, I think it's substantially bigger than that. But it wasn't. I don't get the feeling it was huge by any stretch. Well, hopefully, uh, it will uh, end up in an article by Michael Sala in the Examiner sooner than later. Yeah, that's about good. how the aliens are here to befriend us. Right, and and I will say that despite most other sightings that I've had, where there's a very surrealistic, weird feeling about the whole thing, this kind of started out that way, but. All I can say is that it, it didn't feel the same as some other sightings that I have had. It was definitely weird. It definitely didn't look like it belonged. I can't explain other than to say there was a different feeling with this. Maybe it was because it was broad daylight and I was with somebody else. Maybe that was it. But I was with Lisa up at the park when we saw almost exactly the same type of object, only it was completely spherical and was also silver. So, And this was probably less than a block away from Mom and Dad's house. So that's the second sighting, third sighting I've had. I had one when I was a little kid that was a spherical round ball, which I've, I've talked about before. So that's three sightings in that same one block area. <laughs> so I'll put them up and everybody can kind of... You know, you also, um, you sent me um, a link to, I think it was, was it Filer's Files about uh, red UFO yes. that sounds eerily like what you had seen also yeah. in Maryland. Yes. <laughs> Saying it's I, back. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, that was, 
uh, and I'll read it from Filer's Files here. George sent that off um, two days ago, and that'd be George Filer for those of you who are new. Yes, yeah. It says Maryland disc with red rim of lights. It was in Bowie, Bowie Maryland, which is eh, maybe forty-five minutes away from me, and probably a little more than an hour away from where I sighted the same object with my wife that night, which is, this is the pinnacle event. This is the one where I walked out uh, into the field and saw this thing. And Lisa kept yelling for me to get back in the truck. This is the one with the car seat and all of that. Um, the, the, the quote here from what was reported to Peter Davenport of UFO center uh, says, we started driving up the street from our home on June 3rd, 2009 at 9:20 PM and saw an oval disc shape object, an oval disc shaped object, uh, beaded with red lights around its rim. It was stationary, and about 45 seconds later, the lights began to dim until they were out. The disc then hovered low, down behind, uh, then hovered down below the line of trees. It was cool. <laughs> and I wrote, uh, I wrote to George and told him, uh, uh, well, I essentially sent him what I had written on AboveTopSecret.com about that whole event, because I had kind of written out in kind of a, uh, I don't know, kind of like if you were reading the book and uh, uh, what Lisa said, what I said, what we saw, how we saw it, what happened. And, uh, uh, you know, George wrote me back, said, thanks for sending your encounter. It was very exciting. It's my belief we are being, being visited. I think you agree. Uh, not people, not many people understand what it's like to have an encounter. They do seem to want people to acknowledge them. You probably did the right thing in holding their hand. It's certainly a life-changing experience. But I have put a thing up on Craigslist to see if I can, just by chance, if that person who saw that reads Craigslist for for Maryland, I I put a thing up there saying, you know, I'd really like to talk to you because apparently it was filed anonymously. I would very much like to talk to them and, and, and see if there might have been something that they forgot to mention or you know, to ask the Hanson questions to and see what they say. Hmm. But there it is. I mean, there's the same object in Maryland. Um, and I also said in my Craigslist post that, you know, if you live in Maryland and you've seen an object like this, I'd like to hear from you. I, I don't know. That's pretty much the first time I've ever heard anything mentioned about that craft in Maryland. But there it is. Red rim of lights. That's, that's I'm telling you, man, that's one of the ones I can picture so clearly in my head of what that looked like that, um, and I really should sit down and draw it and make a, a really good illustration of what that looked like so people can really get it. But, you know, um, I, I found that to be pretty exciting. So we'll see if anything comes of it. I'll keep everybody aware of, of what comes in or what doesn't come in. So, But either way, I'll put those silver pictures up um, this week, maybe tonight or tomorrow. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of the cow jumping over the moon. And there were three little bears sitting on chairs, and two little kittens, and a pair of mittens, and a little toy house, and a young mouse, and a comb, and a brush, and a bowl full of mush, and a quiet old lady who was whispering hush. Good night, room. Good night, moon. <laughs>